Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Free Coaching Thursday. Whether you are listening over on the podcast, which means it's Tuesday or later, catching us here live on Instagram or catching this replay on IG Live. Thank you so much for being here with me today. So what is Free Coaching Thursday? Real quick, I am your host, Sarah M. Chappell, your business strategist, business coach, business philosopher. We get to do some philosophizing today. Thank you to somebody who submitted a great question on that front. How Free Coaching Thursday works is that on Wednesday over on my Instagram at Sarah M. Chappell, we post a little question box in my stories. Drop your questions there. Thursday, I come here and go live to answer as many of your questions as possible. And then you can, of course, catch this replay over on our podcast at So You Want to Be a Witch on Tuesdays. So you don't have to be on social media to part to listen to this. Or, of course, we push it over to the Instagram feed as well. Today, we have some really fantastic questions. We have questions about essentially assessing new hires. When is it worth it? When is it not worth it to have somebody on board? Creating and making things in the face of economic and uh, ecological collapse. Fantastic question. That's where I get to be put on my business philosopher hat. And also a question about breaking down starting a business into bite-sized pieces and tasks. So really excited to dive into these different things today. And again, this is a tool for y'all. So whether you're catching this over on the podcast or you are here on Instagram now, come join us on Wednesdays. Use that question box, drop your question, and I will answer as many as possible. So Let's dive in to some fantastic questions today. Our first question today says, I impulsively hired a project manager. Should I wait out the three month probation or let it go? This person submitted another segment as well to add a little bit more info. Um, They hired a friend and so far I feel like they are still doing all the work so it hasn't been helpful. So hiring is honestly is a skill and even more than hiring is a skill, working with people and managing them is a skill. This is, I think, the first piece that, you know, and I think I'm probably guilty of this in the sense that sometimes we don't have the room in something like an Instagram Live or definitely not like in an Instagram post to go into the nuance of what hiring is really about. But it's very often, very common, especially in the online business space, to see people, or really any business space, to see people just say, oh, just hire someone that will solve your problems. Hiring people simply creates new problems. Now, problem, we tend to kind of culturally view that as like a very negative term. Let's say maybe we say challenge, new challenges. So just because you hired someone doesn't mean that you don't have a challenge still. Your challenge just is different. Now your challenge is how do you communicate effectively with this person? How do you help them to hold themselves accountable? And how do you help them to achieve the job that you want them to achieve? This is an issue of training. This is an issue of communication primarily. This is an issue of management. And a lot of times when we hire someone, especially if you've been alone in your business for some period of time, or I know this particular person has been super fucking busy. A lot of times we hire somebody and we're in a place of desperation. We're like, please help me, (laughs) right? I need help. First of all, and not to you in particular, but in general, Um, And if you haven't, you can check out our podcast episode that's going to come out after this. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it'll be on Thursday. Or you can head over to the Instagram feed and find the quote block that says identifying bottlenecks in your business. If you wait so long to hire someone that you are feeling desperate, that is a sign that you have waited too long. 
And this is a really hard lesson to learn. And this usually comes back to a business bottleneck issue. Often in our businesses, we wait too long to hire, especially initially, because frankly, it's a lot of fucking money. And you're like, oh my God, I'm gonna hire someone and I have to pay this person and I'm responsible for them, even if it's a contractor, right? You, you are like, oh my God, I have to pay this person too. And so we wait and we hold off too long. And that means that the work, the stress and the overwhelm has piled up. And now this new person comes into your company and you're like, fix it. And guess what? They can't, they can't fix it. They can't fix it because they need you to transmit the institutional information required in order for them to fix it. So this is one of the problems with waiting too long is that we tend to be at this burnout, like bottleneck, just explosion space. And we are here hoping that someone is going to come in and solve all our problems for us. The reality is, is that like step one is that it is still your job to solve the problems. It is actually not your employee's job. It is not your contractor's job to solve your problems. They can't without your help. So that's kind of my, before we get into the specific question, my kind of pre-frame on this is that you're probably waiting too long to hire. If you're starting to feel this desperation, chances are you need to. And you need to do it before it goes too far or else you will not be able to effectively manage and support that person in doing their job. And hiring people is not a band-aid. It does not magically fix things. It, it isn't going to get rid of your challenges. It's going to create new challenges that ultimately you get to solve, which is exciting. If you're a business owner, you're probably a challenge solver. Um, that, that's one of our skills tends to be. So, so there's that. So I impulsively hired a project manager. The impulsively part is the first piece, right? That's where I'm kind of speaking to a little bit of this desperation. You're overwhelmed, you're busy, so you hired someone, you're like, oh my God, I need help, and you just went for it. Awesome taking action, but that impulse means you probably did not plan for this person to actually come into your company. What that tells me, and based on a little bit more information that you gave me um, in your other little post, is that you have no systems in place for this person to actually be able to do their job, which is why you still feel like you're doing all the work, because you are, because that person doesn't have what they need from you. So. Should I wait out the three month probation period or let it go? That's kind of up to you. Whether you let this person go or you um, keep them on, you're gonna have the same problem, which is that your business is not yet structured yet to bring in help. So here's what I mean by that. When you hire someone into your company, even if they're a contractor, even if they're an expert in what they do, they still need to learn your company, your business, your customers, your systems. And oftentimes, Essentially, small business owners have no onboarding process. They have no process by which they teach people this institutional knowledge. Oh yeah, these are our offers. These are how we communicate with our customers. This is how we do this thing. This is where you find this information. So you bring in people, whether it's a project manager, whether it's a virtual assistant, whether it's an employee, it doesn't matter, you bring them in and you're like, okay, fix this. And they have nothing. They have no information, they have no access. And so they are coming and asking you questions all the time and you're still doing all the work. So the good news is that this is completely solvable. This is completely solvable, but it requires a little bit of practice and it requires a little bit of time. So I think just to answer your question before we get into how to actually do this, to answer your question, you need to decide, do you have the time to actually help this person learn their job right now or not? And if you're not willing to do that, that's okay. But then yes, you should let them go. Don't drag them on for three months if you're not able to carve out the space to help them do their job. And you know, we can often think of this, I bet a lot of us can think back to places that we've worked where we haven't had the support we needed, where we didn't know where to find the passwords, right? Or we didn't know who we needed to talk to for this information or 
know, we, we were just kind of like thrown out there, figure it out, right? And then shocked when our bosses were unhappy with us and we were like, well, we don't have any training, right? You are now the trainer, you are now the boss. So that the onus is on you to facilitate that person being able to do their job. So that, that baseline is if you do not have the time or the ability to do this right now, then yes, let them go. Don't drag them on for a few months. It's not worth it. It's going to be stressful for both of you. And you also mentioned this as a friend. That's the kind of thing that ruins friendships. I firmly believe you can work with friends, but that requires extremely clear communications, boundaries, and systems, which I think is exactly what you most likely do not have in place right now, which is exacerbating this issue. That said, you can get these things in place. So here's the breakdown, right? There's two pieces of this. First of all, you said you hired a project manager. I would love to know, especially because this is a friend, is this someone who actually has project management experience and do they have experience working with small businesses like yours? Because often the more skilled the person is that you hire, the less you have to train them. They're usually contractors. They're usually people who have specific skill sets. And often if they are contractors, they are accustomed to coming into people's businesses and solving some of these problems for them. But the fact that that isn't happening here maybe suggests to me that this person has a little bit of project management experience or you hire them to do that job, but that isn't actually like, they're not um, selling themselves as a project manager. They don't run like a project management business or something. But in general, if you have a, like, if you have a fucking like trash fire situation in your business, you're at that desperate point, you're gonna be best served by essentially overpaying for a high priced contractor to come in and solve your problems. Um, or at least that is the closest thing to the business bandaid. So, it comes at a premium to hire somebody who has that skill set, somebody who already has pre-existing knowledge of your softwares, of your programs, or is able to learn them very quickly. The other option is to hire someone who doesn't know these things. They have, they need to be trained. Often that means that, that, that their rate is going to be lower, even if it's a contractor, but you have to put in the time to train them. Whichever way you go, you're still going to have to train people. So let's break down what that means, because I think that's really the missing piece here. This mistake of saying, I'm gonna hire someone and they're gonna come in and magically fix everything, that's the breakdown. Doesn't matter who you're hiring, who you're bringing in. If you can't help them do their jobs, they're not gonna be able to do their jobs. So there's a few things. First of all, if you hired a project manager, I would recommend that you are extremely clear on what specifically you want them to help you with. Which projects? What? How are they gonna know that they're doing their job? What metrics, what, what things need to be got done on what timeline? What specifically? Because I think what happens a lot is people hire folks. And like I did this at the beginning too. And I'd be like, uh, go make this PDF. But they don't have our brand kit. They don't know what it's for, who it's for. They don't know, you know, I'm like, are they supposed to write it? How are they supposed to lay it out? And somebody would send me something back. And I'd be like, oh my God, this isn't what I wanted at all. But I didn't tell them what I wanted. I said, go make this PDF. Here's an example, and they would just make something. We have to over-communicate. So when you're hiring, I would get really clear on what specifically you want this person to help you with, whatever the job is that you're hiring them. And what we did a lot in my business is we started actually really kind of like making these very kind of self-contained job like role universes. This is less true now, but at the beginning, I'd be like, okay, this person, all they do is respond to support emails for this program. Like, that's it. Or this person edits the podcast. This person makes podcast show notes, right? So they're all these very discrete tasks. And that meant I only had to train them on that one specific thing. And that I find is a really great way to kind of entry into this. 
When you say you hired a project manager, my concern is that that's probably vague. My concern is that you probably hired someone and that the boundaries of what they of what your expectations are for them are very unclear. And this is again totally normal. This is the learning curve. This is the the next great challenge in your business. Welcome. Welcome to the next level. This is it. <laughs> Managing people is the next great level. So figuring out what specifically it is that you need help with and then you need to train them on how to do that. How you want it done. Doesn't mean you can't ask them for help. Doesn't mean you can't ask them how they would do it, but it is your job ultimately to tell them how to do it and to let them then build upon that. So the easiest way to do this, I think people get super overwhelmed by the idea of creating like SOPs, standard operating procedures, which I recommend that you do, but that's a conversation for another day. Creating SOPs, honestly, business owners are usually terrible at that, myself included. It's like a nitty gritty detail thing. And most of us are just like, oh, just fucking do it. Like, just do it. (laughs) Um, And we're like, why can't they read our minds? Why don't they know what to do? Because they're not you, they didn't create the system. The easiest way to do this is simply to make a a screen video of you doing the thing you need them to do and then sending it to them so they learn how to do it. That's it. Uh, You can use Loom. You can use whatever. You can just use like a, I think you can use like QuickTime on Apple. Doesn't matter. Something to record yourself talking and showing them how to do something. And if it's not something that's digital, though, my guess is since it's a project manager, it probably is something that's going to be primarily digital. You just record yourself talking through it. That's fine. But you have to show them how to do the thing. The next step is that you should get that person then to write that out into a process. You make the video, they turn it into the SOP. And then you can review it and you can say, oh, this step got missed. Oh, this piece didn't work, etc. So I'm going to kind of like come back just a few steps and recap here. For you personally, should you let this person go? Yes, if you are not able or willing to make the effort to train them, because that's your job. And that's that it's it can be really hard for us when we're like overwhelmed and busy and realize, oh, hiring this person actually now is another job. I have to manage them because it is. And it can take a minute. I would say it probably takes at least three months for most people to settle into the flow of a new position anyway. So that's why three months tends to be a good probationary period. But if you don't have the capacity right now, let this person go. You are probably going to ruin your friendship if you keep them on. It's going to be really hard for you guys to maintain healthy communication if you are not able to step up in this management role now. If you do want to step up in this management role or to prepare for next time, you need two things. One is a very clear scope of work for this hire. What specifically are you hiring them to do? If you cannot say it, you are probably not ready to hire someone. Talk to a coach, ask a friend, talk it out with somebody until you get really clear. Again, think of these kind of discrete tasks in your business. Okay, I need someone to post for me on Instagram. I need someone to email my mailing list, like to actually just schedule the emails. I need someone to respond to support emails. I need someone to schedule calls. What are those discrete tasks? And then how do you want them done? And the easiest way to do that is just to record yourself doing them. Make a video, make a screen video, make a face video, doesn't really matter what it is. And then you give that to the person. You say, this is how you do this thing. Let me know what questions you have. And let them build out the process based on you walking them through it. Because for management, you need these two things. You need a clear scope and you need how they're going to get that job done. And the big challenge as entrepreneurs is that often we have now trained ourselves to be kind of intrinsically rewarded by our work. If you don't find intrinsic value in running your own business, chances are you're not running a business. We have to find lots of different ways to really self-motivate to keep going in the face of like, yeah, 
the effort it takes to grow a business and to keep doing all these different things and wearing all these different hats. Your employees are not the same, right? They often are very different personality types and entrepreneurs. It's not a bad thing at all, but in fact, it's a good thing because they need to compliment you and your kind of visionary chaos. Even if you are like a well-organized visionary chaos, like I am, like I still need people around me who are like not visionary chaos people, frankly. <laughs> I, need, I need other people. I need Virgos. You, you need to be able to help those people know that they are doing their job correctly. How are they going to know that they have accomplished the task? How are they going to know that they have done the thing? Because for people who are not visionary chaos people, which is most people, they need to know when their tasks are complete and how they know that they've done a good job. Okay, so what is the role? How are you going to train them? How are they going to know that they have done their job? That is what you need before you hire someone. And that's what you need in that onboarding experience for them is you have to show them that path. Otherwise, you end up in exactly where you are, where this person actually can't help you. And it's most likely because you have not told them what you need or communicated how they can get it done. And then the last kind of piece of this is that even if you do all those things and then you don't actually let that person do the job, of course, you're not getting anything done, right? Of course, you are stuck doing it because you're not letting your hand off the wheel for them to, for them to drive the bus, okay? So that was a lot. I definitely recommend if you're listening to this or watching this, watching that again, because I covered a ton and I realize I'm talking super fast. Sorry about it. But yeah, and for you in particular, impulse is fine, but now you have to decide, can you step up to the plate to this responsibility and to this challenge? And if the answer is no, then let this person go. Let this person move on. All right, let's go into our next question. How can I break the first steps of starting a biz into smaller, less intimidating pieces? Well, we have a slight challenge here just simply because I don't know what's intimidating to you, but I think that there are a few things. First of all, people tend to start businesses and get really wrapped up in the big long-term vision. And there's a lot of comparison that happens when people are starting businesses. So they'll, you know, often we start them because we're inspired by other people. We see, oh, that person can do that thing. That's possible. Cool. I want to do that thing. Right. We, we, we use this as an inspiration. Inspiration is awesome but it tends to make this feel like this massive project. So I think the first thing, and this is kind of an overall like biz tip, right? Is that there are times when we want to be in this massive multi-year, 10-year scope. What is the big vision of the business? And then we have to set that aside and get down to work today. So that first step probably is to give yourself the space to dream and envision and like go fully into the possibility of your successful, sustainable business, whatever that looks like for you have that 10-year vision, map it out, write it out, take notes, put post-its all over your house, put it on you know, your whiteboard, whatever your thing is, and then you have to let it go. You have to trust that that vision is like in a part of your brain that you have like externalized it now, that it is like, it is, it is clear, as clear as it's gonna be now, and you have to let it go. Because if you keep holding the big vision, then getting started is going to feel intimidating because part of your brain is 10 years down the road when you have a team of 50 and are helping this many people and you need this kind of solution, but you're here today. So that's like the first thing that kind of emerges when you ask me that question is that my ch chances are part of your brain is kind of hyper-focused on a long-term vision that actually isn't gonna help you right now. So carve out that space to do that. And those of you who have already started your businesses still do this. I just did this last week. I spent, I've spent about like a week and a half actually focusing on like bigger picture vision and starting to bring that back down. 
I try to do this quarterly in practice. I rarely spend enough time on it, so I'm kind of playing catch up. This is good to do at any time, but you have to bring it back down into the present moment and into really the next 90 days. That's that first step. Second piece to break these pieces down is literally like list them out. If writing things down isn't your way, I love the app Otter AI, Otter like the animal, dot AI. Uh, that's a voice recording app that transcribes really well. It's free and you can just talk through all of the ideas and then go through and process them later into steps. But chance that one of the things that when we feel intimidated, usually what it is is that we have a bunch of things in our brain and we're trying to remember all of them and trying to start process act processing action on them at the same time. It doesn't fucking work. Even the most brilliant people I know, um, at some point, you're like CPU in your brain, you're like active memory in your brain is taken up. <laughs> and you probably have things other than just like this new business that are in your brain. So um, get it out of your brain, every single thing that you think you need to do. I love yeah, I love voice apps for that. Write it down. Doesn't really matter. Because basically, if it's in your brain only, it's not going to happen. Actually, as part of my most recent visioning exercise, I wrote down, I was like, if it's not in ClickUp, it's not happening. <laughs> if it's not on your calendar, it's not happening. We use ClickUp as our project management software. Regardless, if it only exists in your brain, it's essentially not real yet. And you are using extra energy, and this is kind of probably exacerbating and creating some stress, to hold all of those things in your active memory and try to act on them. Get them out of your active memory. It's not what your active memory is for. Your active memory should be for like processing and like holding on to problems like acutely. It's not for keeping track of tasks. And that's like, here's a quick, quick pro tip. Business owners everywhere. Stop using your brain to hold all your tasks. Oh my God. <laughs> um, okay. So we want to like get that all out of your brain. Then start to categorize them and group them together and then prioritize them. And depending on how your brain works, this might take a couple weeks, right? We definitely, I definitely work with folks who, you know, for whom like you had some of this executive processing stuff is not your skill set. Fine, give yourself the space for it. If it is something you're good at, then just knock it the fuck out. But we have to get it out of your head. We need to group things together and then prioritize them. And I think there's kind of two core pieces usually when it comes to starting a business and people want them to be the same thing. They're not the same thing, okay? There are the actual like, how am I, what am I selling? Who am I selling it to? Is my idea validated things? There's this kind of part. This is also, this is what I do, by the way. And then there's the technical things such as, do I need a business bank account? Do I need certain kinds of like insurance? There's stuff like that. Do, uh, what do I legally need to do where I live to set up a business? This as a side note, because this is a question that comes up all the time. Business coaches should not be telling you what to do, by the way. We can provide general information, but this is one of the things people kind of like, I'm not like often enough that I understand there's a sense of confusion. They're like, Sarah, why don't you have more information on different business structures? I'm not an accountant or a business lawyer. Like it would be completely unethical for me to tell you what to do there. I can provide general information. Like this is what this means. This is what this means, but I can't provide advice. Okay. So just to be clear on that, um, and business coaches that are doing that are, are that I would talk to a lawyer or an accountant and said, um, so start to separate out those two pieces. Cause I think a lot of times it gets super conflated. You need to validate your business idea. That is like step one on the like actual business action tip. Will people buy this thing? Do people care? That's why in the new holistic business Academy framework, our first step is validating our offers before we even like get into some of this more robust, like, like marketing and sales strategy and stuff. Do people want it? Because until you validated that people want it, that they will give you money for it. You don't have a business. Okay. 
And then there's the second pieces of like, okay, if I'm going to be operating a business in my county, in my state, what am I legally required to do? In my country, what am I legally required to do? This is also really important. Um, I honestly think that, yeah. So this is really important. Please don't take advice from like strangers on the internet about that. I really recommend if you're able, setting aside, I don't know, two to $400 to speak to a local accountant for a consultation. Um, a lot of accountants will do that. Some of them will do it for free, to be honest, which is cool. Um, but to find somebody local to you who understands the laws and the regulations where you live so that you can set things up properly. Because at least in the United States, this is often a state level requirement. What you need to register, um, how much it costs to register different things. It's worth putting a little bit of cash aside and talking to a local accountant expert. The other, if you don't have that cash, I would also look for a local chambers, chamber of commerce. A lot of counties and cities have small business uh, programs or nonprofits. So just keep in mind, like that is like a separate piece. So brain dump, organize, and I would say roughly I would put it in those, to those two categories. Like you might have, you know, your, your kind of like business um, development like side might be like, do I want to use Instagram? How does Instagram work? What am I selling? How much does it cost? Who am I selling it to, right? Kind of these like offer creation, communication, sales, business strategy pieces. And then we also have the legal aspects of it. And that's a, sec that's a separate piece. So I think starting to separate those out is really critical. And I think that's one of the intimidating pieces for people is I think they don't recognize that those are two separate processes. And increasingly, I see how important it is to really separate them out. And honestly, over here on the legal side, do what you will, but it is probably worth saving up a little cash and hiring someone local for like an hour long consultation for them to tell you exactly what to do so that you know you're being compliant with whatever regulations you need to be compliant with and not listening to people on the internet who do not know what they're talking about. Uh, we have some comments coming in. I'm just checking it out right now. Uh, Desiree Celeste says, I love this. I create 90 day goals and monthly game plans for goal accomplishments. And if new opportunities don't fit into the three month plan, I say thank you, but not right now. Yeah, I love 90 day goal planning. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I have so many dry erase boards for this. <laughs> yeah, there's fantastic lists for days. Yeah, I love 90 day planning. That's what we teach and what we use very often. And I think especially at the beginning baby steps of your business, it can be helpful to make that even smaller, right? But yeah, we got to get it all out of your head. Good. I'm so glad this was helpful. Um, yeah, I, I hope that is. And I'm trying to think if there's any like last pieces there. I think the third piece that I'll mention, because this tends to be part of the intimidation, whether it's conscious or unconscious, this may not be for you particular person who asked this question. Um, but a lot of the intimidation when it comes to starting a business often is not being clear on how much money you need to make. I think this is kind of like, some people are like hyper clear on that. And I, like, I, I know some of you are, some people are not. What's the name of your podcast? It is called So You Wanna Be a Witch. Yeah, um, you can search that or search my name over on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and you will find it. So the, am I trying to break down? Is making sure that you, you are actually looking at the financial pieces. And some of that is things that get learned with time you know, you can read them and read them until you actually experience them. You don't know, but figuring out if you want to start a business, what are your financial goals with it? What do you need to make financially to make it worthwhile? What do you want to make? Weighing on that, I think is a big mistake that I see a lot of small business owners make. And it adds this low key stress because there's a sense of like, oh, I just need to get my business started. And then I'll figure out the money piece. Businesses are to make money. <laughs> so I think that that's an important part. 
Uh, thank you. Getting my accountant to be my guide is a big help mentally. That's the most intimidating part. There you go. I think that ultimately, you know, the yeah, the legal and compliance aspects of starting a small business are a huge part of the intimidation. Um, and that's a place that I wish that I was able to be more help. But again, ethically, I just really think that that's, I think that's a bad idea. I'm not a lawyer or an accountant. Uh, and just because I know things doesn't mean that I can, I can tell you what to do. Right. Um, but I would definitely say, and for you listening, but anyone listening, it's mo many accountants for some flat rate will do a consultation with you. I would probably do an accountant over a small business lawyer, unless you're working in something that feels particularly high risk, like, um, making, making products that people eat, for example, things like that, that, you know, but I think like I would start probably with an accountant for most folks because it'll probably be a little bit less money than working than, than hiring a lawyer for a consultation, but also will get you basically, you need to know what forms you need to fill out. What is your, cause like here, like locally, like our requirements where I live are completely different than like other States. So I'm glad that's helpful. It makes sense. And now I know where to go. Easy peasy. Fuck. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm glad that that was helpful. So that is our how to break it down into bite-sized, less intimidating steps. And we did it. Easy. How to start a business in 10 minutes with Sarah Chapel. You're all welcome. <laughs> Thank you for the great question. All right. And let's dive into our business philosophy for the day. Feels about the future of the internet, social, economic, and environmental collapse, and keep creating and growing. Whew. Low key. Super chill question. <laughs> Um, I appreciate the opportunity to riff on this a little bit, and I think I'm going to start by giving myself just the caveat of I'm here riffing, and I think this is a kind of question that actually deserves deeper thought, um, and maybe I'll write about it at some point. So I'm going to talk. I'm going to try and offer maybe a few things to think about. Also, I think that this is a deeply personal question, so I can tell you my opinion and what I believe, and... Uh, you know, I really encourage everyone listening to feel their own feels about the future that we're heading towards. I don't know that, that we need consensus in order to, to take steps forward. So my belief, and I think this is belief that's rooted in a fair amount of fact, but some of it is just what I believe and what I see. My belief is that humans make things. I think we are creators. I think we are makers. I think that we have an inherent curiosity as a species. Um, that's one of our great gifts and one of our one of our great sins, frankly, right? Like our curiosity gets us into a lot of scrapes. Our curiosity is a large part of what has gotten us where we are now with the, the threat of of economic collapse, uh, environmental collapse, social collapse, et cetera. That, you know, these concerns come from the same things that help us to create beautiful things that help us to. I mean, make art and like write books and make babies and like all, you know, like whatever it is, make food. <laughs> Humans are creators. That's what I believe. So when you ask me, you know, feels about the future plus creating and growing, I don't know that there's another option. I don't, as overwhelming and terrifying and deeply grief filled as it is, to feel impotent in the face of decisions being made by giant corporations and politicians and, and you're just this like, I mean, I feel ineffectual half the time, you know, more than half the time. <laughs> I'm like, who, you know, who, who the fuck am I? What am I doing here? What, you know, does any of this matter? But I do think that we make things. 
Now, some of this belief stems from the fact that I am an extremely intrinsically motivated person. That is part of how my brain works. And I recognize not everyone's like that. Not everyone wants to make things on the scale that I want to make things, and I think that's fine. But most humans make something. At the very least, we make meaning. We, we attach meaning to things. That is something we make. Like, we actually actively create that. We create meaning. Meaning is not inherent. Meaning is a creation of humanity. And when we start to see that role that we play, that everything we do and how we live our lives and what we build and what we create and how we spend our time, that that is actually, I, I think, it, I mean, it is, a, it is a dance with the wider world. That, to me, means that we can't stop creating. I think it is both inherent to our species that we create and that we grow and that we change. And I also think that it's critical because here's why. When we create things, we maintain our ability to change. Creation is an act of change. Even if you make the same thing over and over again, it's not literally the same thing, right? You're still making it new. Creating is growth. I wrote a couple years ago about how important I believe it is for us to learn new things. I wrote it through the lens of business that I think that for business owners, learning new things, especially things that are, are low, low risk, low attachment for us as individuals is really important. Uh, I think I, that was when I was learning how to carve spoons. Side note, not a professional spoon carver, probably never will be. I'm not great at it, to be honest. I haven't spent a lot of time on it. I'm not great at it. Wood is weird. Wood is fucking weird. Um, I love it. But I wrote a little bit about this on Instagram because we have to maintain our ability to learn. And that's actually something that does tend to atrophy as we get older. We, we tend to get ourselves in situations where we aren't encouraged to change, whether that's being in uh, interpersonal relationships, right, where people want you to stay the same. We, we often, as adults, trade, <sighs> trade creativity for security. And I think that's a false equivalency. You know, security, by there, what we mean is control right? We want the sense of control. And if we continue to learn and change and grow, we are, in, we are forfeiting control. I would venture that being able to adapt is a better security feature than, a control, than control is. But this, this sense that learning and creation are actually critical parts of being human. And that these things, when we maintain them, when we foster them, when we focus on them, when we develop them, that that increases our capacity to change and coming back, I, I swear this all makes sense. If you're concerned about the future of the internet, social, economic, and environmental collapse, what do we need to address those challenges? We need change. We need to increase our capacity for change. And well, this is not an individual issue in the sense that, you know, especially in the United States, like the idea that, you know, you individually are responsible for global warming because you buy milk in a plastic carton or something, right? Like, you know, that, that has been statistically, and I hope is increasingly culturally debunked, right? This like individualism, like, but in the sense of like, you are culpable. <laughs> Your personal consumer choices are ruining the world. It's not really, that's not really what's happening. But we are a society of individual people. And when each of us maintains our capacity for change by continuing to create, to grow, to develop, to shift, to morph, to interact, to let the world change us and be changed by it, then we can also change the world. My friend, mentor, Ren Zatopek, who I know I reference almost every time these days, uh, 
especially because a lot of you have been asking some of these deeper questions that do start to get into the more spiritual realm, um, the more realm of belief, the realm of how I think the world works. You know, Ren um, talks a lot about change and capacity for change as being this really critical part of aliveness. And that often a lot of the challenges that emerge, especially when we step into things like dogmatic belief systems that say, for example, um, it is a dogmatic belief. The, the world is fucked and there's nothing you can do about it. And you can't question that or else, right? When we kind of get into these dogmatic systems, we lose our capacity for change. We have to trade it. Because change is threatening in a dogmatic system. Change is not allowed. Questioning is not allowed. So this capacity for change, this, um, this, this like ability to make new things, even if it does, and I, I, I want to meet you there. I think you didn't use this word, but I think for me what comes up, creating in the face of potential doom, it can feel superfluous, right? You should be doing something more important with your time. You should be, I don't know, chaining yourself to a tree or something. But if creating is change, if creating increases your ability to learn new things, to make new things, and to interact with the world in new ways, then I actually think it's critical. I don't think it's optional. Um, I mean, well, anything's optional. You can do whatever the fuck you want. This is not a dogmatic talk. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. <laughs> I was like, dogma sucks, but only do this. I'm kidding. But that's where I come down on it. Is that our hope lies in the curiosity and creativity of humanity. The very things that continuously get us into trouble are also the very things that enable us to envision new ways of living in this world. New solutions. New things only come from change. That's why we have to keep creating and keep growing. And that's why what you do matters. It's not all on your shoulders. It's not all on my shoulders, right? Let's, let's break out of this, like, you are, again, you are not solely responsible for any of these issues. In fact, you're probably in a large part not responsible at all. <laughs> um, you know, being within a system is not is not the same as creating it, though we can obviously participate in and do in many harmful ways, sometimes without a lot of choice. But creating things, growing in the face of that, I believe that not only is that inherent to humanity and thus important, I believe that that is what will, if anything will, get us out of this. I have some questions, some comments. Um, I feel this so much. Thank you for this. Gaining uh, some zoomed out perspective really freaking helps. You are so welcome. I'm glad that feels helpful. Yeah, that, that's my belief. Is that when we increase our capacity for change, we increase our ability to recognize dogma, to um, have healthy disagreements, to actually find um, coherence and cohesion across movements and growth and change, increased flexibility, increased possibility. There's, I really just don't think there's anything more important. So whether that is you learning how to carve a spoon because it's a low risk way for you to maintain your ability to learn new things, or whether you are growing a business that requires you to constantly create and grow and shift and change and respond, these are skills that we need like as a collective like as a species, 
so those are my, my feels about the future of the internet and social economic environmental collapse and keep creating and growing. I mean, honestly, this is a conversation to talk about like forever. Um, I didn't even really talk about like future of the internet specifically, but just this kind of sense of, you know, impending doom <laughs> and why I actually believe that creating things is one of the most potent and powerful things that we can do in the face of that. Oh, there's one last piece I wanted to mention before we close, which is that I actually find it very helpful to look in a broader historical context as well. Not to minimize where we are in this moment, because some things we're facing are unprecedented. Um, you know, climate collapse as being, I think, a primary one. Um, unprecedented, probably in the, in the sense, you know, of it being caused by humans, right? Like, there have been other climate changes, but this is different. Um, but there are things to learn from the resiliency of our ancestors, maybe through your particular ancestor line, if you have access to that, or just conceptually. Um, you know, I remember at the beginning of COVID last year, a lot of people were talking about the Spanish flu, right? Or talking about, you know, the Black Plague. Looking at these other times of resiliency, other times when the world changed. And sometimes some of those moments where these changes were acute, right? Like, oh, fuck, that was a change. You know, with the uprising last year, uh, you know, looking at these moments of, of change, when action after action after action, Brown v. Board, right, these things that start to kind of like unravel the fabric of society and remake it in some new image, imperfectly, but change. I think there's something to be learned from that, from the movements of the past, from the resiliency of the past. And from the fact that we are still here. What can be learned from that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have some hot take. But that it might be helpful to remember that this is not the first time that humans have gotten themselves in fucking trouble. It's not the first time that outside forces have made our lives challenging. And it's not going to be the last, is my guess. It's also not going to be the first time that, you know, potential social collapse, societies have collapsed many times. <laughs> so I find, I don't know if solace is quite the right word, but I find an increased curiosity by placing this moment in a historical context, even though it is in many ways very different, and seeing that change has happened before. And I find that helpful. Again, if we maintain that capacity for change, then change can happen again. So from a witchy perspective, this can be a fun place to, you know, chat with your ancestors. My friend Ren says, your ancestors probably can't help you monetize your blog, but a lot of them probably know how to deal with a plague. <laughs> so, some things to think about. I hope that's helpful. Some thoughts. And again, you know, something I honestly am always thinking about, and I will work on maybe some more coherent versions of that. So thank you all so much for joining us for Free Coaching Thursday. Um, if you are listening over on the podcast or you are here catching this replay, here's how you can participate. Every Wednesday over on Instagram at Sarah M. Chapel, we post a question box in my stories. And then on Thursday around 1 p.m. Eastern time, I go live to answer your questions, to riff, to talk about the meaning the meaning of the world. <laughs> um, and it's absolutely my delight as always to, to offer any support I can to you. Uh, whether it is practical or philosophical, I am here for that. So we will see you here again next week. Uh, and if this is something you benefit from, I have a favor to ask you. 
If you are on Instagram land, then please share this with a friend. Let people know that they can participate in this and get the support. And those of you who are listening to this podcast, it would mean the absolute world for me, to me, for me as well, if you would head on over to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. A written one would make the make, make my world spin. Just about, you know, helping us to, to reach more people with this free resource. So if you can take a moment out of your day to uh, pay, if you will, quote unquote, for this free resource with a moment of your time, I would truly appreciate it so we can keep helping people in this way. All right, y'all, I will see you next week. Uh, I wish you, I wish you joy, ease, and, hmm, yeah, and, and change, and capacity for change. I'll see you all later. Bye for now.